Excellent. If you can make your way back to your seats, we're going to get started. And open up in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua 1 is our passage of Scripture this morning, and I'd like you to read along in God's Word with me. Joshua chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 9 this morning. Let's read God's Word together. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you, wherever you go. And that's the title of the message this morning. The Lord your God is with you, brothers and sisters, wherever you go. Let's pray together. Oh, Almighty God, as we turn our attention to your word this morning, Holy Spirit, we pray for your power and your anointing to be upon it. Lord, we've come here to be transformed, Holy Spirit, by your power through the word. And so do what only you can do and touch our hearts with greater affections and greater love for Christ. And Lord, a greater obedience and a zeal to follow Him. Help us as a church family to be very strong and courageous for the glory of Your name. As we put our trust in Your promises, we ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. The title of the message I gave, there's three points to the message this morning. The first is God's promise. The secondly is God's charge. And thirdly, God's presence. Let's look firstly at God's promise. We see here that the situation, the context of the beginning of Joshua here is it's right after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. He's described as in verse one. And then it says, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now we know from his Deuteronomy just ended, the people of Israel mourned Moses' death for many days. But after The Lord speaks to Joshua and says, Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. It's important to note that Moses was a man who was such a blessing to the people of Israel, as we all know. And Joshua, in taking over the leadership of the people of Israel would have felt much need for empowerment from God and courage in order to carry on 
the good work that the Lord began through Moses. And this passage is really instrumental in getting us into the book of Joshua because it sets us up to understand just the almighty power of God and the work that he did in Joshua's heart here in Joshua 1 and then through the people as we head deeper into the book. But no doubt Joshua could have been feeling a real inadequacy after Moses died. I mean, Moses, after all, is the one who, when he, after he carried down and received the law from the Lord, we know that he had to wear a veil because he actually glowed from the radiance of the presence of the Lord and had to cover his face. Joshua, as we read about him, we recognize that there was no glow coming off of Joshua's face. In some respects, he could feel much more uh, that Joshua was attainable in understanding him. He feels much more like a, an individual like us. And Moses was a great servant of the Lord, but the people of God must have felt his loss keenly. And so that's the context that we're in where God speaks to Joshua, be strong and courageous. But before he gives him that command to be strong and to be courageous and to to not fear and be not dismayed, which we'll look at in point two with God's charge, God gives Joshua a promise. He actually says to the people of Israel, but also to Joshua specifically, look at verse three, you're going to carry him across the land. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. And there's this connection and there's this link throughout chapter one of just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. There's this connection between God being the rock of the people of Israel from one generation to the next. And that is very applicable to our lives, even right now. The same God of Israel is the God who we worship and we rely upon here today. And he was with them and he is with us. But there's a promise here of victory. There's a promise that they will indeed conquer the people's on the other side of the Jordan. They're not over the other side of the Jordan yet. We're going to get there as we head deeper into this book, and I'm excited to explore that with you. But we see the Lord bolstering the faith and the courage of Joshua with promise. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. And then in verse 4, he explains the territory that they're about ready to head into. And he talks about the expanse of how great the territory is going to be. And when you look at the map of the 12 tribes of Israel, you recognize quickly that on that map, you don't often see the land of the people of Israel spreading as far west as the Euphrates River. And you see a real great expanse there. That's because once the people entered in, they took over the promised land, But then as the years went by and as the kingdom grew and developed, and once you get under the reign of King David, which we're going to head into, and King Solomon, which we're going to head into deeper into the Old Testament, the the reign and the dominion of God's kingdom through his people Israel kind of hits a high watermark. And the influence and the expanse of the kingdom of Israel really did stretch this far. But all of this is meant to remind us of God's rule and God's dominion over the earth and the way the Lord is the ruler of heaven and earth. He's given His people the glorious mission of the advancement of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so when you see here in Joshua 1, the the speaking to territory and geography, We see that theme picked up all the way throughout the scriptures. As Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's this call for the gospel to continue to advance and to advance all the way to the ends of the earth, to every tribe and every tongue, which is ultimately a fulfillment of the promise that the Lord gave to Abraham in Genesis 12, where he said, through you, Abram, and your offspring, speaking of Christ, 
all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. We see that promise getting fulfilled here under the old covenant in Joshua through the Lord establishing his people in the promised land. And it's very powerful to look upon. God promises them that they're going to finally realize the promise that the Lord had given to Moses. They're going to enter in to the promised land. And it is a bountiful, bountiful geographical possession. We see the bounty of God. We see the dominion of God. We see the generosity of God to his sinful people who have been saved by grace out from underneath of slavery in Egypt. God has delivered them into riches. He's delivered them into bounty. And that's a picture of the bounty of God's grace in the life of the true Christian. If you've repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus, oh yes, indeed, this life here in this fallen world before we get to heaven is filled with many trials of various kinds. But mark you, brothers and sisters, it's worth it. One of the points I want to impress upon us for personal application here from point one from Joshua chapter one, and we see the dominion of the Lord through his people advancing, is that the promised land here for Israel is only a type that points to the true and real promised land of the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, that every one of us who have repented of our sins and trusted in Christ will receive that inheritance after we die and go on to be with the Lord, after Christ returns and He calls us home, oh, brothers and sisters, then will be the true and the ultimate promised land that this promised land here could only point to in terms of the glory. It's described earlier as a land flowing with milk and honey. Speaks to the prosperity, it speaks to the peace, it speaks to the bounty that God gives to His covenant people who have trusted by God's grace in His name for salvation. And, oh friends, your future is very bright in the Lord. And even though we have many foes that we need to fight and battles left that we need to wage, we are meant to take heart from God's promise that we indeed are going to make it because God is with us. And where we are going to, oh, it's going to be so much better than life in this fallen world filled with so much suffering and affliction and still affected by sin and death. One Christian writes, we know when he shall appear, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Our father's house is both large and well furnished. It is a house of many mansions, and the inheritance which he has promised is incorruptible and undefiled and fadeth not away, as Tom highlighted during worship. We are going to an inheritance which can never perish, spoil, or fade, as Christ has made a way for us to enter into the true promised land, and by faith in Christ we are able to enter into heaven. So friends, though we are in the midst of the great fight of faith, and as Joshua and the people of Israel, as they head into the promised land, there's many battles that we're going to see as we head deeper into the book of Joshua. And there's many battles that we need to fight as the people of God as well. Take heart that the promise stands firm. That the Lord our God is with us. And as He was with Moses, as He was with Joshua, so he is with us. And no weapon formed against us, his people, shall prosper. Brothers and sisters, we need to get encouraged this morning by the promise that God makes to his people. Because after all, this battle is one that Christ has won. And we need to get an injection of victory here this morning. We serve a risen Savior. And we must always remember that, not just on Resurrection Sunday, but we must remember that here, that He has conquered over sin and Satan and death. And aren't you so glad He's done so?
And aren't you so glad for the future destination that we have? All because of what Christ has done. God has been good to His people. Amen? He has been bountiful to His people. He's been so good to you and I. Even with all the trials and the afflictions that we suffer here. God has been so, so very good to us. Secondly, God's charge. God's charge. We see that the promise is every, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I've given to you. And then he describes the territory. Look further at the description of how God's power will be with them. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. I will not leave you or forsake you. But here's a charge he gives to Joshua. And this is also a charge that is applicable to our lives, beloved, this morning. He commands Joshua, in light of the promise, put faith in the promise, and that should affect the way you live, Joshua. That should affect the way you live, believer. Be strong and courageous. Because God's going to do it, but He's going to use Joshua as a means of His grace. He says here in verse 6, You shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. And then He repeats it again, knowing that we need repetition in order for it to sink into our souls. He says, Only be strong and very courageous. And He reminds Joshua of the importance of obedience in the life of the believer when he says this, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. There's this wonderful phrase here in verse 7, do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. The life of the Christian, the life of the believer is the life of an individual whose eyes are fixed on Christ and fixed straight ahead. Whenever you see this description here, don't turn to it to the right or to the left. We are meant, as the book of Proverbs reminds us in chapter 4, to fix our gaze straight in front of us. To look at the path and ponder the path of our feet. And not be constantly looking to the right hand or to the left to compare our lives with other people because that can lead to stumbling, looking to the right or to the left, looking at other paths that we might pursue and just kind of being curious about the way unbelievers live. And that leads to disobedience. And so what he commands Joshua to do as an outflow of being strong and very courageous is that he's meant to fix his gaze in front of him, to fix his gaze on God and to not turn from the path, from the right hand or to the left. Keep your eyes fixed on me, Joshua. Keep your eyes fixed on my law that you may have good success wherever you go. Here we see the first link that obedience brings success in the walk of faith. And that's an important principle here in Joshua chapter 1. And this is one of the reasons why we need to take this charge from God to heart. And in verse 8 is such a beautiful scripture to memorize. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. And these are again commands. This is for the third time in nine verses, he's repeating this. This is very important for us, beloved. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. So here's the, he's been speaking of the, the put on. Here is the, the put off, the sin to avoid. Do not be frightened. And do not be dismayed, or literally in the Hebrew, that word dismayed means shattered, discouraged, overwhelmed with fear. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Be strong and courageous. You know, 
Moses is dead, and yet the Lord calls his people to move forward and cross the Jordan River after that. He says, arise and go. And I think one of the important points of application here in relation to God's charge, brothers and sisters, that we need to just take to heart is that great men and women of God, like Moses, who have done much good to the people of God, will eventually pass away. But the mission of God goes forward triumphantly nonetheless. The mission of God goes forward from one generation to the next because God is with His people. We sometimes can think that the work of God is dependent upon great men and women of God. But we learn that God is not dependent on man. He uses as means of grace His people to accomplish His purposes. But mark you, God is never dependent upon. And you're going to see that as a theme throughout Joshua. He's not dependent on man to get His purposes fulfilled on the earth. God always gets it done. And that's meant to really uplift our hearts. Joshua does not have the experience that Moses had. The next generation does not have the benefit of the wisdom of the previous generation in this context here. For the previous generation all perished in the wilderness as God declared they would because of their rebellion and because of their unbelief. In fact, the previous generation said our children will never enjoy the land of promise because they're going to be devoured by the Canaanites. And they did not believe and trust in the Lord. And there's giants in the land that are going to destroy our children. Well, here they are. God is silencing all doubters. Because it's these very children who are going to go in and take possession of the land. And whenever we're tempted to doubt God, let us not do that, brothers and sisters. Let us not doubt His power or His might as it came forth the ministry, Mike, and the Holy Spirit this morning encouraged us through Melissa Tromler. God is mighty and awesome and mighty power. And we must remind ourselves and take it to heart. God shows His power in and through weak men and women. And the reason that they can have hope and take heart is because God has promised them that every place where their feet would tread, Yahweh has given them. God has said, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. And the application for us, church, is just as God was with Israel in the past. He's with the church now in the present. God is with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. He has risen from the dead for us. And having loved us so much, as our church verse says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much now does He love us? If He loved us that much when we were His enemies, what does that speak to how much His love is for us now that we are His children? Oh, friends, take heart. And let us be obedient to the charge that God gives to His people here in this passage to be strong and courageous with what we're facing this morning. As Joshua was called, to be strong And gracious, though Moses is gone and we grieve the loss of him, we must, as the people of God, arise and go forward into the works of the Lord and be not dismayed. And we thank God for the men and women of God who always serve God's church, servants of whom the world is not worthy. But our hope, brothers and sisters, and this is so comforting, our hope is never in Moses and our hope is never in Joshua, but our hope is in the name of Yahweh, our great and awesome God. We are to arise. We are to be strong and courageous and carry on the work of the gospel for the glory of God. And there is much need for each of us to be strong and courageous in our day. We live in a world ever intolerant of Christians proclaiming Christ as the one way to God. I read an article 
on Fox News from this past week, and the title of the article from this past week read this. Christian persecution set to rise, quote, sharply in 2019. In Nigeria, Fulani Muslim militants look set to continue devastating attacks against Christians in the north and central Nigeria. And in the first six months of 2018 alone, they killed up to 6,000 Christians and drove 50,000 from their homes. The article went on to say, so if you take Nigeria, everybody knows about certain sections, but hugely unreported are persecutions by these Fulani militants, Muslim herdsmen, who are being armed and attacking Christian villages in the north of the country. Their attacks seem to be coordinated and well-planned. And men, women, and children says that the people, the Christians, our brothers and sisters in Christ right now in Nigeria are dealing with lots of orphans. Some of them who are heavily scarred. And the government seems to be doing very little, the article said. It's not just in Nigeria. China has seen a sharp increase in government opposition to religion, including Christianity as The Chinese government has destroyed crosses that have been on church buildings. They've burned Bibles. They've closed churches. And they're forcing believers to sign papers renouncing their faith in Beijing and several other provinces demanding loyalty to the atheist communist party in power. One Christian writes, tough new laws were brought in to China in 2018 and they've seen a high-profile High-profile, unregistered churches and house churches are now being closed down because of the persecution. Uh, Shannon and I heard a story a couple weeks ago about a a house church's pastor and his wife being detained and not being heard from by their church. In India, attacks against Christians are coming from Hindu nationalists that are on the rise. They see no place for Muslims or Christians in India, and it's only emboldened since the Prime Minister took power in 2014. There's been a rise in attacks on pastors and prayer meetings being broken up as several states in the nation of India are passing anti-conversion laws. One pastor in the article said that he was thrown off of a moving train for carrying Bibles in a rucksack. His attackers yelled, these people are spoiling our religion, and threw him onto the platform. It fractured his skull, his shoulder bone, and ankle, and knocked out several teeth. The pastor, you're going to love this, the pastor continues to preach the gospel despite opposition from hardliners the group said. And a group called Release International is providing Bibles and local languages to replace those the militants destroy and giving vital legal aid and support to pastors who have been arrested. The gospel is advancing to the ends of the earth, but it is Happening and it is going to happen under persecution, church. Second Timothy 3.12 says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There's actually, if you, if you, um, search in YouTube on Christians persecuted in India, there are actual video clips of Christians, our brothers and sisters in Christ being beaten with sticks while they are in their churches gathered to worship Christ, trying to worship. I watched, and I just wept this week as I was preparing the message, and I think we all need to take it to heart. Because can't we, we need to ask, brothers and sisters, would I willingly take my place amongst the persecuted church of God? Am I? Will I stick my neck out for Christ and be seen as one of His disciples? Would I take sides with my brothers and sisters in India 
and willingly offer my back to the rod and my face to those who would punch and strike me? Will I serve the Lord like Moses did and like Joshua did? Will I stick my neck out for Christ and be seen publicly as one of His disciples? There is a great need to be strong and very courageous, brothers and sisters. Increasingly, as we share Christ in America, I was talking with Mark Warren about this recently, it's moved from post-modernism to post-Christian culture where what we have in America is largely the background that we had back in the 1950s of many people being churchgoers. And it was just assumed that there was a background in Bible knowledge and people knew Bible stories. is largely gone. In order for us to advance the gospel in America, we are not going to be able to operate off of the assumptions that we had in the past that somebody has a starting working knowledge about Jesus. Increasingly, as we share about Jesus, people will have no idea about him. They won't know Bible stories. And so we have a challenge for us in America to make sure that we preach the gospel of Christ boldly to people who have never heard the name of Christ right in our ranks, in our neighborhoods. And be bold proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To be strong and courageous. I love Mark's perspective and I would actually encourage all of us to have this. Don't think of this as a negative. Think of it as a positive. And we've got people who've not heard the name of Jesus. They don't have this operating assumption that, yeah, 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 I know I'm going to heaven. I'm a Christian. Many of us might be tempted to think that's a negative. But Mark was saying, CB, I believe it's an opportunity for us. As we proclaim Christ boldly, the power of the gospel will break in and souls will be saved and the true church in the midst of the growing darkness will shine like a brighter and brighter light. Christ community, that's what you are. And that's what we are going to be by the grace of God. Being strong and courageous involves here, in verse 8, the book of the law not departing from our mouth. And in order for the book of the law not to depart from our mouth, we see another charge. Meditate on it, Joshua. Meditate on it day and night. This meditation in the Hebrew, the word actually means to mutter. Actually means to speak the word over and over and over again. And if you if you follow uh, uh, Jewish culture, a lot of the times there's a lot of reciting of the law of God, reciting again and again and again and muttering the word again and again. They get that from this Hebrew word, meditate. There's actually a, a muttering of the word. And you can actually meditate or mutter the word actually out loud audibly, or you can do that in your mind. But it's turning the word of God over and over again in your heart So that like a gentle rainstorm, the word begins to saturate into the parched soil of our hearts so enamored with this world. And the word of God matriculates deep into our soul and transforms us from not being mere meditators of the word, but be those who are doers of the word. Here, it's a glorious connection and important for our discipleship that meditation is linked with obedience. Meditation on the word leads to our obedience of it. Look at this. You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. It's meant to lead to our obedience. By meditating on the word, we will grow in our obedience of it. Maybe some of you right now are struggling with obeying the word with a certain area of sin struggle in your life. One of the tools that the scriptures give to us is meditation on the word. Meditating, it really means to muse, to ponder the word, to to write out the word. I remember as an exercise years ago, I actually just wrote out the book of Proverbs on my own in my own hand. 
just to slow down and try to ponder the word. That exercises like that that have been commended to us by our brothers and sisters in Christ are so rich. And as we let the word matriculate into our hearts and mind and kind of break over our hearts and mind again and again, we will be transformed, as Romans 12 says, by the renewing of our mind, by the power of the Holy Spirit through the word. But here, to Joshua, meditate on the word is offered to Joshua as a means to his obedience, and not just to his obedience. Obedience here is linked to, then you will be prosperous and successful. Here we see that obedience to the law of God leads to the most prosperous and successful lives here in this fallen world. And I know you. I know your love for the Lord, church. One of the things that you're burdened about, you want your life to count for Jesus. I see it in you. I I hear it in you again and again. Here we have a very practical discipleship tool to help us in our personal, daily, devotional lives. We set the Word of God before us. We meditate on the Word. And look at the frequency of it. Day and night. Listen, I love devotional times. And I feast on God during devotional times. But the Word of God is meant to be with us all day at school. The Word of God is meant to be with us all day at work. It's meant to be with us in the classroom. It's meant to be with us as we go about our business in our homes. Meditating on the Word day and night means that we are occupying our minds with more noble things, with the Word of life. And there's all kinds of wonderful practical tips that we can use as you pray and seek the Lord. I've known Christians who have written scriptures on their hands or on their arms in order to be able to look down and see a scripture for the day. And... um or writing scripture on index cards. I've, I've been in many of your homes just through the years, and I love how many of you put just index cards or, or just words of scripture in beautiful works of art. That's meant not just to just hang up above a mirror for decoration. That's meant, brothers and sisters, for us to look at again and again and again, to remind us again and again and again what matters most to God in living on this earth. And the Word of God, often, we can get a deluge of it, but then it flows off very quickly. Meditation, and I used the illustration a little earlier. I think this is important for us, church. Meditation on the Word is like a gentle rain that just slowly the moisture seeps into the soil, but it causes the Word to spring to life. And Our lives move from being sort of apathetic about God to growing more and more on fire for God through the Holy Spirit's power through the Word of God. We must not neglect the Word of God. Some of us are really struggling with feeling like you're in a dry and weary land where there's no water. Church, meditating on the Word of God is like an oasis in the desert for us. And God gives this command to Joshua as he's now taking over the leadership of Israel. He gives him the command to be strong and courageous three times, but he also says to him here, meditate on the Word day and night. You know, I I confess to you, church, one of the things I really need to grow in in my life is just using my mind for better more noble thoughts. We have a powerful, powerful tool in the Word of God. And by occupying our mind with the Word, we have a wonderful opportunity to crowd out, if you will, to crowd out the less noble thoughts that stumble us again and again and the the way that our minds can meander or go into directions that they shouldn't to the right or to the left. The Word of God keeps us anchored. The Word of God keeps us fixed on God, 
fixed on Christ so that we will obey Christ and not only obey Christ, but our life will be prosperous and successful for the glory of Christ. Church, this is so, so very important for us to heed this charge that God gives to Joshua. John Piper, speaking of prosperity and what prosperity defined biblically in this passage looks like, he says this, so the blessing, the happiness referred to is a life that is nourishing and fruitful for others. A prosperous life is a life that is nourishing and fruitful for others. It's a life that is deeply durable in the face of drought. A life that's durable in the face of drought. And also a life whose labor is not in vain, but succeeds in God's good purposes into eternity. I know you want to succeed in God's good purposes into eternity. I know you want to live a life where your labor is not in vain, church. I I think of you when I think of a life that is deeply durable in the face of a drought. Church, I, I think of you in relation to that. But we have room to grow, do we not? And I think of you in relation to a life that is nourishing and fruitful for others. But church, if we are going to live lives that are nourishing and fruitful for others all the way until we cross the finish line, we are going to need to meditate. We are going to need to allow the Word of God to break over our minds again and again and again. Listen, I really want to say this with all the love in my heart. Yesterday's quiet time is not enough to sustain me today and tomorrow. I need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit now. I want to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit overflowing out from my life. And essentially here in Joshua 1, this is like Ephesians 5. Be filled and go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. This section in Joshua 1, I was meditating on this. It reminds me of Jesus in John 15 saying, Abide in me and abide in my word and you will bear much fruit and fruit that will last. By abiding in the Word, meditating on the Word day and night, it will lead to you being greatly relevant in this world. Don't believe the lies of the evil one that by having your nose in the Bible all the time, you're going to have your head in the clouds and not be of any practical use to this world that's heading to hell. No, the most effective and fruitful man and woman of God on this earth is the man or woman who doesn't look to the right and to the left, isn't living a worldly life, but they have their eyes fixed on Christ, they meditate on the Word, and they saturate themselves in the Word until it percolates down, until shoots of obedience come up and their life is transformed from the inside out. And that is the life that is fruitful and prosperous and makes an eternal difference in the lives of others. Church, this is exactly what God charges Joshua to do. He doesn't give him a book and say, hey, here's 12 steps to being a great leader. Meditate, Joshua. Meditate on my word. Oh, Christ community, let there be index cards bought at pharmacies over the next number of months. Let there be pens writing scriptures on hands at school and on hands at class and on hands at work, on computer screens, and on phones. Let there be Scripture everywhere in our homes, but more importantly than on walls, and more importantly than on paper. Let us meditate and take it in and turn it around in our own minds again and again and again, because that is what creates that percolating effect. That's what's going to crowd out all of the lusts and the desires of this world that keep tripping us up. That's what will enable us to shake off this world and lead us to say all I want is Jesus. Church, we have a practical tool. May God give us grace to use it for His glory. Meditate on the Word. Meditate on the Lord. You will be prosperous and successful. I'm so moved by... 
Listen to this quote from the Expositor's Bible Commentary. So at times in dealing with human beings, we can obtain no adequate and satisfying success unless their hearts are turned to God. And listen to this and let it, let it just shape us, church. Your children may be great scholars or successful merchants or distinguished authors or brilliant artists or even statesmen. What, is, what does it come to if they're dead to God and have no living fellowship with Jesus Christ? Your congregation may be large and influential and wealthy and generous. What if they're worldly, proud, and contentious? We must aim at far deeper effects. Effects not to be found without the Spirit of God. The more we labor in this Spirit, the more shall our way be made prosperous. The better shall be our success. Oh, brothers and sisters, is our definition of success in this world living a fruitful life for Jesus? Or frankly, is our definition of success for ourselves, success for our children, hopes for our grandchildren, is it more worldly than we would care to confess out loud? Let it be that we don't aim for the world's definition of success for our own lives. The world's definition of prosperity for our lives. But let us aim for the prosperity and success that comes from a man and woman living lives of obedience unto the Lord Jesus, meditating on the Word of God, so that we might be careful to do everything written in it. That is a fruitful life of faith in Christ. That is a successful life. And who cares about the amount of money you make if you're on fire for Jesus? But is that really there in our souls? Is that what we pray about? Is that what we care about? Is that what we talk about? Is that what we target? Oh, friends, let us recalibrate our, where we're targeting our gaze and let it be on God and on His glory and His glory alone. The third and final point briefly is God's presence. And that is seen in verse 9b. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And to this I just want to let you know that this theme here runs throughout Joshua. It's what gives Joshua and the people of Israel good success as they head into the promised land. I can't wait to get into just the details of the miracles that God does to deliver His people into the promised land as we go deeper into Joshua church. But this maps on so greatly to, again, the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We have a Savior who died on the cross and rose again. And we have a Savior who ascended and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And we have a Savior who has promised, not only have I forgiven you of your sin, not only have you been declared righteous with the righteousness that I've earned in my sinless life by faith alone, but He says this, I promise you this, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Joshua 1.9 Church, let this land on you. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He is never going to leave you or forsake you. The reason why all of us right now are sitting in these chairs is not because we meditated good enough. Yes, that's been a means of grace. Yes, that's helped us grow. Yes, that's kept our eyes on the path and has kept us following. But the reason we are here is because God has not ever given up on this sinner. And 
upon you, church. He has never given up. He's been patient. He's been kind. He has not treated us as our sins deserve, has He? God wants us this morning to not be frightened and to be not dismayed. To be strong and courageous. Not because we look at our power and say, alright, I'm going to rise up and I'm going to change now. But because of this, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Hallelujah. Tom and the worship team, if you could return, let's pray together. Let's stand. <clears throat> Almighty God, we thank you so much just for your goodness to us. Thank you for the inheritance that we have that can never perish, to spoil, or fade. It's being kept in heaven for us right now. Lord, and we know that these light and momentary afflictions are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. Thank you so much, Almighty God, that in the midst of the wilderness of this world, Lord, you sustain and you have never left your people. You have never left us and nor will you ever leave us. You're with us wherever we go. Just like you were with Moses, you were with Joshua. And just as you were with Joshua and the people, you are with us this morning, your church. And we thank you, Lord, as we look to the future, that we don't look to our own strength in the arm of flesh. But Lord, we look to your grace. And we look to your power. Because your grace is all that we need. And though there are times that we fail and sin, Still, you are with us. We thank you, Almighty God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing to him. He is an awesome, awesome God. Amen. My fellow believers in Jesus Christ, you are completely forgiven. And it's all by His grace. Amen? Aren't you so thankful for our resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Aren't we so glad that He is with us always? Church, go forth this morning remembering that the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Hallelujah. Amen. Have a wonderful rest of your day.